You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 2. For whenever anyone bears the pain of unjust suffering because of consciousness of God, that is a grace. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he returned no insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he handed himself over to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body upon the cross, so that free from sin we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you had gone astray like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and it is a gift to be present with you to consider the seven spiritual works of mercy. In a previous episode, we explored the seven corporal works of mercy, namely feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, and bury the dead. These are merciful acts that relieve bodily suffering for the other. Now in this episode, we will reflect on the meaning of spiritual works of mercy that alleviate spiritual sufferings and deficiencies in the other. Spiritual needs of people are relieved by praying to God for their relief and by offering intercessory human assistance. Since the spiritual works of mercy affect the soul of another person, they are mediated, we could say, by a servanthood of the soul, a real pastoral care of the soul of the other person who faces me. So the seven spiritual works of mercy again go back to the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, specifically his Summa Theologiae, the second part of the second part, question 32, article 2, where he says that these seven spiritual works of mercy can be summed up by the shorthand list of six terms. In Latin, consule, castiga, solare, remite, fer, et ora. Counsel, 
admonish, console, pardon, forbear, and pray. So why does he have these six shorthand terms for the seven spiritual works of mercy? Because two of them both involve counsel, counseling the doubtful and instructing the ignorant. We're going to talk about these in a few minutes. But we're going to start with the first of the seven spiritual works of mercy in the list, comfort the afflicted. This is the notion of solare, or as St. Thomas writes, consolari tristem. Bring solace, bring consolation to the afflicted, to those who are sad, to those who are mourning. There's so many resonances of meaning in each one of these. But overall, we can say, comfort the afflicted. St. Gregory of Nazianzen said, Let us appropriate the beatitude. Let us earn a name for thoughtfulness. Let us become good. Not even night should interrupt your mission of mercy. Do not let anything come between your impulse to do good and its execution. Compassion. This alone cannot be put off. Comfort the afflicted. This also is empathy. It really begins with empathy. That the suffering of the other would be welcomed into myself. That's the very meaning of compassion. The pasio of the other, the pathos of the other, takes place within the self, within me. It begins with this empathetic proximity to the other that I can sense they're going through something difficult and I want to bring them some relief some comfort some solace so all of these spiritual works of mercy really begin with an attentiveness toward the other person who faces me a real attentiveness awareness and we could say solicitude for the other. So again, these works begin with prayer, but also involve some human effort, some human assistance, along with the primary activity, that of God. Comfort the afflicted. Number two, bear wrongs patiently. Or St. Thomas Aquinas puts this in Latin, Portare onerosos et graves. This is to bear with those who trouble and annoy us. <laughs> so that's a, a more candid way to put it, you could say. I think all of us might uh, experience this from time to time, that we're interacting with another person who um, we might feel is annoying. <laughs> Uh, for whatever reason, mostly because of our own uh, sinfulness and lack of mercy. We experience annoyance, I think. Uh, but bearing wrongs patiently, their shorthand in Latin, fair, forbearance, this great virtue. Isaac of Nineveh, a 7th century monk and bishop, says this, If the merciful be not even above justice... His is not merciful. This is not merciful. This means 
that he will not only show mercy unto people on his own part, but that he will voluntarily suffer iniquity with delight. The gospel commands not only to suffer gladly iniquitous dealing in possessions and other outward things, but even to give yourself on behalf of your neighbor. Bearing wrongs patiently goes beyond strict justice. This is mercy, mercy that surpasses, it exceeds the simple demands of justice. It goes beyond. Not only will I show mercy to people, but even further, I voluntarily, I willingly suffer iniquity with delight. There's this beautiful litany of humility. You can look it up online. And to pray something like this, wanting to be unknown, unnoticed, forgotten, even to suffer being accused of something I didn't do, suffering all of this with delight because this is what Jesus has done for us. Bear wrongs patiently. Bear with those who trouble and annoy us. Number three, the third spiritual work of mercy, pardon offenses willingly. Remitere offendenti. Remit. Remit offenses willingly. Yes, it means pardon, forgive. St. Hilary of Poitiers writes, For the vices of our nature did not merit pardon. Therefore, all pardon comes from Christ. In fact, he pardons even those sins that remain in one after confession. How much more is it necessary he shows that pardon be returned by us without measure or number? Pardon's frequency shows us that in our case, there is never a time for anger since God pardons us for all sins in their entirety, by his gift, rather than by our merit. So powerful. Quote from St. Hilary of Poitiers. To pardon offenses willingly, forgive the sins, forgive the transgressions of other people against you willingly, because we have been forgiven so much by God. God pardons everything, everything in its entirety. And so this pardon has to be paid forward, so to speak, has to be returned by us without measure, without number. When St. Peter asked Jesus, how, how many times should we forgive somebody who has done us wrong? Up to seven times? Jesus says 70 times seven. Unlimited number. This is the mercy of God at work within us. And it's so beautiful. Because the fact is, when by God's grace we enter the joys of eternal life in heaven, what grudges should we bring with us? What grievances? None. Nothing. It's gone. So we can begin that total 
spirit of absolution in relation to other people right here, right now. Because we have been forgiven so much. Number four. Here we have numbers four and five. Counsel the doubtful and instruct the ignorant. This is the shorthand of St. Thomas Aquinas' Consule. It involves both the practical intellect and the speculative intellect in the metaphysical language of St. Thomas. So counseling the doubtful involves the practical intellect. This is the question, how can I do this? Someone might ask, how can I do this? And someone might doubt that they can. So to say counseling the doubtful encourages a person that they can. They can do this. They can carry on. Above all, they can follow Christ by God's grace. Consulere dubitanti. Counsel the doubtful. St. Ambrose of Milan says, He runs to you. Jesus runs to you because he already hears you when you reflect inside yourself in the secret of your heart. In coming to you, there is prescience, that is, foreknowledge, in the embrace of his mercy. And I would say almost the strong sensation of fatherly love. He embraces you to raise those who lay on the ground and to ensure that he who was oppressed by the weight of sins and bent towards earthly things again raises his eyes to the heavens where to search for his creator. Christ embraces you because he wants to remove the weight of slavery from your neck and set a sweet yoke on you. This is what St. Bernard of Clairvaux calls the amplexus Christi, the embrace of Christ, in addition to what we're hearing from St. Ambrose here of Milan. But again, it all begins with the merciful work of Christ that we are asked to imitate, that we are asked to return, that we are asked to multiply. Because he runs to us, we have to run to the other person who is doubtful, who lacks confidence, who doesn't believe in God or God at work in them. We should come to their assistance with this counsel, one of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then number five, the other side of this coin of counsel, concerning the speculative intellect, this has to do with a question more theoretical. How can I believe this or that? Consule, counsel, but more specifically when it comes to the speculative intellect and questions about truth, both through reason and divine revelation, docere ignorantem, teach, instruct the ignorant, the one who lacks knowledge through reason and revelation. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI in his book called Introduction to Christianity, writes, Both the believer and the unbeliever share, each in his own way, doubt and belief, if they do not hide from themselves and from the truth of their being. Neither can quite escape either doubt or belief, for the one 
faith is present against doubt. That is, the one who believes in God and his revelation. For the other, faith is present through doubt in the form of doubt. The one who does not believe, it's still an exercise of a kind of faith. But for the unbeliever, faith expressed through doubt and in the form of doubt. They doubt God exists, that God reveals the truth, and so on. Benedict continues, It is the basic pattern of man's destiny only to be allowed to find the finality of his existence in this unceasing rivalry between doubt and belief, temptation and certainty. So with all of these works of mercy, specifically these spiritual works of mercy, those of us who exercise them first must experience the mercy of God for ourselves and be merciful to ourselves. We have to admit our own struggles like this one between faith and doubt in order to instruct the ignorance. There's a solidarity among us human beings. We're all in the same boat, so to speak, with all these existential questions and experiences. So instructing the ignorance, bringing faith to the doubtful, to the one who is agnostic without knowledge, instructing the ignorance. So these two, four and five, two sides of the same coin of counsel, counseling the doubtful, instructing the ignorance. Consule. Then number six, admonish the sinner. In Latin, corrigere pecantem, or in the shorthand, castiga. Admonish, castigate or correct the sinner. St. Polycarp of Smyrna, writing to the church in Philippi around the year 108 AD, says, Let the presbyters be compassionate and merciful to all, bringing back those who wander. When we sin, do we not wander in bad directions? This is all about overcoming the wanderlust after sinful pleasures. It is this pastoral care, going out after the lost sheep and bringing back, bringing back with the shepherd's crook of mercy. Admonishing the sinner is about reproof, but not vengeance. It is about correction and not judgment. So we should not dare to admonish the sinner unless we are willing to accompany him or her in their repentance and recovery. Admonishing the sinner is meant to serve the moral restoration of the other rather than to feed the gluttonous self-righteousness of the haughty superiority complex of the self-inflated self. This is a very careful spiritual work of mercy because it implies that we are taking care of our own sins first through the sacraments of penance and Eucharist especially, that we're examining our own conscience. We're able to approach the other in a dialogical way rather than a very judgmental and dismissive way. Admonish the sinner. Then our last spiritual work of mercy, pray for the living and the dead. Pro omnibus orare, St. Thomas says, pray 
for all, okay, for everyone, ora, prayer, all spiritual works of mercy, all corporal works of mercy begin and are sustained and end with prayer, with living relationship with God, with dependence on the power of God at work within us and among us. St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross writes that there is a vocation to suffer with Christ and thereby to cooperate with him in his work of salvation. When we are united with the Lord, we are members of the mystical body of Christ. Christ lives on in his members and continues to suffer in them. And the suffering born in union with the Lord is his suffering, incorporated in the great work of salvation and fruitful therein. That is a fundamental premise of all religious life, above all in the life of Carmel, to stand proxy for sinners through voluntary and joyous suffering and to cooperate in the salvation of humankind. So St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, also known as St. Edith Stein, a Carmelite nun, so she talks about the life in Carmel as standing proxy for sinners, to say with St. Paul, I make up in my body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church, praying for the living and the dead. It's a very missionary contemplation. It's a kind of, we would say, vicarious atonement. I stand proxy for the sinner, the other person, in my life of prayer. I approach the throne of grace on their behalf to intercede for them praying for the living and the dead, which we can do in almost every instant if we want, if we think of it, if we just lean into it. Pray more for the living and the dead. Sometimes we might feel like our prayers are ineffective, are pointless. Sometimes we pray for people and bad things still go on with them. And we might wonder, what's the point of praying? But we don't know how God is at work, the mysterious ways of God. We can be confident that with every prayer, God is at work, some way, somehow, with someone. So we should not stop praying for the living and the dead, the souls of those who have died to become perfectly purified through the process we call purgatory this purgation, this final purgation from entering the joys of heaven. So altogether, to recapitulate once again, the seven spiritual works of mercy, comfort the afflicted, bear wrongs patiently, pardon offenses willingly, counsel the doubtful, instruct the ignorant, admonish the sinner, pray for the living and the dead. And we remember the line from the book of the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, where God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 17, verse 10, after all this, we can say we are unprofitable servants. We only have done our duty. So may we, by the grace of Jesus, follow in his footsteps, being on the lookout for every disconsolate soul in our hearts, our minds, and on our path, 
administering these precious spiritual works of mercy that share in the healing pastoral ministry of Christ the Good Shepherd. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 